This morning, we're going to jump into God's Word in the book of Matthew. So you can find the book of Matthew, go to chapter 9. But as you guys are going there, um, I've never been on a cruise. Has anybody here ever been on a cruise before? We got some hands. Keep them up. Let me see. These lights are really bright. So we got a few people here taking a little quick survey who've been on a cruise. And uh, I've heard that they're lots of fun. There's, you know, entertainment, there's so much food that you don't know what to eat, there's all of that going on, there's leisure and lots more, so you can confirm that that's true? All right, so the rest of y'all, is that true? All right, awesome, awesome. You know, it's one of those Royal Caribbeans, I've seen them, the Norwegians, the, the, the Carnival Cruise Lines, when we were on our honeymoon in St. Lucia, uh, there was like three or four of them docked in the harbor, and they were massive, and all these people getting out and going on adventures and different things, but I've never had the opportunity to go. Now, I introduce you to that idea in concept, ask the question, because I'm not a farmer, and I figured, I was thinking about this text in this scripture and the weight of what I feel is inside of this text, I really could relate to and understand if I considered the concept of someone out in the ocean versus someone out in the farmland. I'm not a farmer. So imagine with me, for those of you who've gone on cruises or those of you who've seen a picture of one of those massive cruise ships, okay, imagine if you are on one of those leisure cruises and suddenly on one side of the ship there are hundreds of people in small boats and the boats are sinking and the people are crying out for help. They're crying out, save us, help us, please do something. We're here, we need you. And if they're not rescued soon, they will all drown. Can you, can you picture it? Can you picture the moment and the weight of the situation? Now imagine in that very moment that the captain of the ship comes on the loudspeaker and he says, oh, all you incredible patrons who are on this cruise line, please, folks, look the other side of the boat. Please, everybody, just put your hands in your ears and your fingers and stop out the sound. Drown it out. Don't worry about what's happening on this side of the boat. Yes, they need help, but after all, this is a leisure cruise line. This isn't a rescue mission. Please, folks, don't pay attention to what's happening outside of the ship. Don't let this ruin your experience. Now, what would you say to that captain's words? I say that that's criminal. That is criminal. I know that if we look at all the sorrow and pain and some of the things that go on in the world that we live in today, we know that there are some people that have become so desensitized to the value of life that that would not be criminal in their estimation. But I think that deep down inside of our hearts, there is not a person that would be able to see that. I would hope. And not be moved, and not be stirred, and not be challenged. But I wonder, <laughs> I feel myself, and as I've been, you know, contemplating this month and contemplating this week, contemplating the next couple of weeks and what we're sharing and what we want to do as a church and some of the core values that we are continuing to preach on and emulate and talk about and champion I spent some time researching and thinking, and one of the places I was sitting doing research in this sermon series was at Starbucks. 
And as I'm researching this concept in Matthew chapter 9, I feel like that's exactly what's happening around me. There's lots of people who are crying out and they're drowning and they're in need of a savior. They're in need of salvation. They're in need of change and hope and deliverance, in need of, a, of something to transition and shift inside of their lives. And I feel like all that's happening is the muffled sounds are coming in but not really connecting and penetrating. So I want you to open up your Bibles to... Matthew chapter 9, because I feel that thankfully, I, I see thankfully that in this book, in this scripture, there is one who would not ignore such a crowd and such a need, who would not ignore such a tragic scene. There's a person that we see employing a whole other kind of metaphor, the kind that I'm not so familiar with, the kind of agriculture, and he's about to share the fact that there's a different reality possible. There is a challenge that is happening, but he wants to intervene. He wants to challenge his disciples to intervene and do something about this tragic situation and reality. So if you're in Matthew chapter 9, say amen. We're beginning this month, uh, this next couple of weeks actually, not this month because we're, we're not going to take the whole month, but uh, we're going to go through the end of the month to focus on missions. And we're going to look in the next couple of weeks, every week we're going to focus on a practical application, a practical action that Jesus has for us, that he calls us to, that he wants us to be focused in when it comes to this reality because the need is great and there's a situation that's happening around us. And so we're going to culminate on the 29th, like I said, with the missions luncheon. And on that day, we're going to talk specifically about one practical um, function of, of partnering with missions. And so I hope that you mark your calendars and you make yourself available for that day. But Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, it says this. Let's consider what Jesus said. His words, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into the harvest. Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would have mercy on us, that you would awaken within us understanding of this text, and God, that you would move within our lives, and Lord, that you would move within our world. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reflecting on this passage because, as I said, I feel like there is a need that's all around us. And I don't think that we have to search high and low. We can see it right here, sometimes often in our own families. We can see it within our own lives. There's things that are broken within us. There's challenges that are happening. We can look within our schools at what is being promoted and what is being propagated. We can see it within our government of what is being you know, uh, considered good and equitable and righteous and, and the things that used to be called bad or called good and if you just look around at the pandemic of drugs if you look around at the pandemic that's going on of exploitation and human trafficking and all these different things that is happening around our world there is a tragic situation all around us there is a need that is vast john piper said this missions exist because worship doesn't in a very simple simple definition it exists because worship doesn't. And if worship does not exist, therefore relationship does not exist. And relationship that I'm, I'm talking about is a relationship with God the Father. The one who intended relationship with man. 
So we open up this text. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's gone around preaching and teaching. He is um, casting out demons. He is healing the sick. He is going to meet the needs of the people that are very real and very present all around him. And he is busy at work. He's busy going around taking care of all of these things. And so it tells us here in verse 36, if you just look back a little bit more, that as he is going and teaching and entering the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom, he comes across the crowds. He sees them everywhere he goes and he looks upon them with compassion. He looks at them with compassion because he knows that they are not truly living in relationship. He knows that they are going astray. He knows, he sees that they are in pain, they're in sorrow, that they don't have hope and they need transformation. He sees a people that is living in enmity with God. And ever since the drama in the Garden of Eden where a man chose to bypass God's plan listening to that serpent, and they were so deceived. We know from that very moment in the garden all the way through that there was enmity with God. But Genesis 3.15 gives us the beginnings of the gospel, of the answer, of, of the, the, the plan of salvation for humanity where God would send the seed of the woman to crush the, and bruise the head of the snake and the serpent. But from that day on, there's been enmity. And Jesus looks around and he sees the fact that there's a curse upon people. It's been imputed to all of mankind since Adam. And these folks are tormented by evil spirits. They're tormented by sickness and disease. They're tormented by traditions that have no value and bring no change and transformation. They're tormented in so many ways and they're carried across by fears and anxieties. Does that sound at all any different than what is happening today? There's people to this very day that are being tossed to and from with anxiety and pain, fear and sorrow and grief and one tragedy after another. And so Jesus, as he looks out, he saw a crowd and he was stirred towards compassion. I love this metaphor of the harvest now that I've studied it. I'm not really a person that understands farming and all that stuff, but I spent some time researching and looking and, and, and trying to understand a little bit. And I think that Jesus was masterful in where he shares his stories and the pictures that he paints. I love the fact that when he shared about the harvest, he is talking about a harvest of crops. He's not talking about like he talked about the parable of the weeds. He's talking about a harvest of crops. That means that there is a product that is being cultivated. And that product is of good value. That product has an end result. It's going to be useful for something. That product of wheat carries with it the idea and understanding of sustenance. It's food. Jesus could have used this example and started talking about all the sand on the seashore. He could have talked about so many different, you know, gidgets and gizmos and whatever it is. He could have talked about all these different things, but he talked about a crop. And I love that because if I look at my Lord Jesus Christ, as he looked out to this crowd with compassion, it tells us that human beings are valuable in his sight. It tells us that he sees humanity as valuable. He is comparing humanity and the crowds. He is about to share with uh, the disciples and those that are within earshot the fact that he believes, he is anchored on the fact that people have value. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, you're valuable. You are worthwhile. 
Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. There's a world out there that is saying that you are worthless, that you are broken, that you are not valuable, that you are not going to make it. All these different things that the world might say to us that we are not, you know, credentialed enough, that we don't have enough experience, that we're not uh, smart enough or good looking enough or whatever it is. Yet Jesus compared in this metaphor people to a harvest of crops that is valuable. How many of them is within his view, I wonder? Like as he's looking out of this crowd, is he just looking at the people in front of him? Or is he looking beyond them? And I know that in the passages of scriptures, we, there's a point that Jesus Christ, when he's entering into Jerusalem, it tells us, you know, in the triumphal entry, that he looked over Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over the city. He wept over the entire population of that city. And I wonder, are they the only ones within his view? As Jesus is about to launch out into this parable, is he just looking at the citizens of Jerusalem? Or is he looking beyond that? It's believed that in the time of Jesus, there was 200 million people alive on earth. Was he extrapolating the pain and the sorrow and the need to all 200 million? Certainly, he is able to conceive and understand and perceive quite a large number. I know we can't we can talk about numbers but he was able to see them and i'll consider it today did you know that today there's about 7.83 billion people on earth that's a lot of people consider this harvest that jesus is talking about eight billion people almost of that three billion plus have never heard the name jesus christ now imagine in the sight of Jesus what that means, because if we study this book and you start realizing the different texts, it tells us that Jesus believed that if you are not to have relationship with the Father through him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then what is reserved for us? Eternal judgment in a place called hell. That is to be an eternal annihilation and punishment where there is flames and darkness at the same time and separation from God where people are not there to, to just burn up some things and then be, be made right. They are there for all eternity for it tells us in Revelations that unless if our robes are unblemished and cleaned and cleansed that we shall not enter through the gates. As I stopped and I contemplated this, there's three billion people who have not even heard the name of Jesus in church. When you stop and really consider that, that needs to break our hearts. There is thousands and thousands of people groups on this earth. There is 14,000 plus people groups of which 7,400 of these groups have never heard of Jesus. And then this terrible, terrible fact, there's about 70,000 people on the daily basis that pass away within these unreached people groups. Now, if I believe what this book says, that if it's appointed once for man to live, and appointed once for him to die, and then there's judgment. That number needs to scare hell out of us. As I sat in Starbucks and I was trying to study for this, and I'm looking around and I see people, and I'm thinking, right here within this Starbucks, 
There is people that are part of this number. I don't have to go across the world into any one of these nations. Right here in Starbucks, right here in Wayland, right here within my neighborhood, right here in Massachusetts, Marlboro, wherever you are, Wayland, Framingham, wherever, Hopedale, there is people who are part of this number. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, should I just stop reading? Should I just stop studying? Should I be, just stop trying to write and think and articulate and, and pray? And should I just stop and start making relationships and having conversations with the people that are right here in this Starbucks? Should I just stop and, and try to come across the aisle and reach the person that I know is living in enmity with God and needs to hear of his good news? The problem is, I feel for myself, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm preaching to myself first and foremost. I've often told you guys that this, as we stand up on this pulpit, the message first hits home to us and then it goes out to the people. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, Lord, am I on this cruise ship? Am I looking at this harvest? And the harvest is right now. The time is now. The moment is right now. And, and it needs to, something needs to be done. And there's people being lost. And what am I doing? Just being consumed and concerned and thinking I have time. That I, 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 I'm just being about my leisure and building my kingdom and worrying about my issues and taking care of my, you know, uh, pursuits and my dreams and everything that I need. And all around me, there are people crying out in the lifeboats. There are people crying out in the harvest field and they just need somebody to extend them the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other name by which man can be saved apart from Jesus. It's interesting that in the, need, in the light of this great need, Jesus says this. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into the field. Will send out workers into his field. Pray right now, for the time is now, the moment is right now. There is no time to waste. I remember when I was in high school, I had this uh, girlfriend, um, and, you know, years passed, I uh, went to college, and then one day, I, all of a sudden, I hear, you know, we split up and whatever, but I hear that this girl that I grew up with, this girl that I, you know, had, went, you know, spent time in church with, and all this other stuff, and, and we knew for a while, we journeyed together, I hear that she was murdered, she was murdered by her then boyfriend at the time. And I'm thinking like, how is this possible? She's only my age. Like, and what am I? Like in my early 20s, like how is this possible? Like we expect that we're gonna go through life and then we're gonna live all this time and that we're gonna experience all these things and accomplish all these milestones. Yet there are 70,000 people plus in these unreached people groups dying every single day. And I believe that so many of them and so many of us, myself included, feel like there's gonna be time to reach them one day. There's gonna be time or I can't do it today, I can't do it right now, there's gonna be time. Anyways, let's just go into this next part. It says here in verse 38, but the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest field. It's interesting how Jesus puts it here. That the answer to this issue, the problem that is at hand, is not that he's going to send some incredible you know, formula, incredible plan or contraption, but the plan, the, 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 the desire is that he's going to send and deal with the issue through laborers. See, all throughout the book of the Bible, the, 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 the books of the Bible, God used men and women to affect his change. He used Moses, he used Abraham, he used Ruth, he used Naomi, Rahab, he used Samuel and David, Esther and Mary, he used 
used Paul and he used so many other men and women to effect his change and accomplish his purposes throughout the earth. He uses laborers and he doesn't do the work himself. He's not up in heaven prototyping some sort of AI that's going to come and preach the gospel. He's not trying to make some, you know, streamlined uh, discipleship plant that's going to just pump out people to know Jesus and experience relationship with God. No, he is going to send out laborers into the field. And what kind of laborers is he going to send out? What kind is needed? If we stop and look at the metaphor of the harvest, a harvest is basically a a crop of agriculture that is there, whether it's wheat or corn or some sort of fruit or vegetable, whatever it was, would have been in Jesus's time, it probably was wheat for they used that to make bread and so many different things. They would take that crop and they would first have to harvest it, to, to take it out of its current condition, out of its current place in the soil, and they had to separate it from that space. So what kind of harvester, what kind of laborer is God looking for and that he's going to send out? The first thing is that he's going to send out those who are sharp. The harvest grain was gathered with a sickle or a scythe. And not being a farmer, I had no idea what that was. But that's just an instrument that is a very sharp blade. And you will take that in one foul sweep. You can cut right through the grains. And the grain that used to be connected to the roots, connected to the ground, it comes off. It is cut and it falls to the ground. See, what God wants to do in this world because of the issue and the sorrow that's going on and the need that is so great, the harvest that is so big, he is going to send out men and women who are not afraid to cut down and to bring the word of God. See, he's trying to send out people who are not worried about being politically correct or men and women who are just concerned about tickling ears. What God needs in this time and this hour, what the harvest field needs is men and women who will say, sin is sin and I'm not going to mince my words. What it needs is people who are not worried and not going to go into this shenanigans and saying, I'm not a biologist, therefore I cannot you know, comment on that. He is going to use people who are going to say, this is right and that is wrong. The word says this and it does not say that. This is what it says and you need to come this way. You need to come out of that place and out of that sorrow and out of that brokenness and you got to come into his word because there is a way that looks right unto a man but the end of which is death. And if you do not cut yourself out, if you are not cut to the heart convicted and sin is not separated from your heart you will live like these who have gone and you will go into the place that is reserved for the devil and his angels see uh, sometimes we talk about you know following after jesus for benefits but let me just tell you jesus was concerned to tell people to follow him because of the reality of hell he was he was ready to tell people that look there's going to be gnashing of teeth There's going to be torment. The worm is not going to die. It's going to be a place of complete separation from God. He wasn't afraid to tell people that. And today, how, how often do you hear about hell? How often do you hear about our eternal outcome and destination? See, there's a place and people are running to it. That has been reserved for pain and sorrow. And we, the church, have the answer. We have the words of God that takes man into salvation. The way, the truth, and the life. And I wonder, are we just sitting on that? Are we so concerned that we're going to offend somebody? Are we so worried that our boss is going to give us the pink slip if we tell our neighbor that there is, in the next cubicle over, that there is a place 
that is for them, that is good. And if they don't follow after God, there's a place that is bad. Are we afraid to pray for them when they tell us that they're lost and broken, that they have sorrow in their lives? Are we afraid to tell them that there is a God that can heal them because we're not supposed to talk about religion in the workplace? See, God is looking for a people who are ready to cut. And now I know some people get, hear that and they're like, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill, I'm going to check all and fill my tank because I love telling people what they're doing wrong. I love, you know, getting in people's business. I love just putting people straight. Oh, that's me. I, I was built for confrontation. Uh, some of y'all, let me just say this, that the type of worker, if you look at the harvester, he didn't just cut it down, but then he had to lay down the sickle and go pick up the sheaves. He had to go pick up the grain and he had to buy them up. See, the workers that God is sending in this time of need are those who are ready to come and comfort those who are mourning. The ones who are going to bind and bring people together and not just tear them apart. You have to cut sin to the core and remove it from, from the person, but then you got to come and you got to mend and you got to work and you got to uh, stay in, and sow into the life of that person. Comfort those who are mourning and bind up those that are broken. The type of laborer that God wants are the ones who are going to be working well after conviction sets in. He says, my job is not over. Now that conviction has opened the door, now I come in with the hope of glory, which is God. And I do the work that, that God asked me to do, that I'm going to, to, to teach them to obey all the things that God commanded us. I'm going to baptize them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to journey with them. And, and another thing that is closely related to that is that the worker in the harvest is a person that doesn't just cut it and then bind it, but is a steadfast fast person to see the job through through its completion see the harvest had to be stored you know i i live in marlboro and every time coming to church i drive through a farm and I, doesn't even seem like these guys are really in operation but every year they harvest the grass they, they cut the grass and then they they package it up and they leave it out to dry and then eventually that becomes hay and they they send it and store it wherever they got to go but one thing i know for sure is that there is no harvest, that there is no farm that will go ahead and pluck the, the, the fruit, the harvest. We'll take it, we'll cut it from the trees, remove it from the soil. We'll put it together in little containers and bundles and then just say, that was a nice exercise, see you later. No, the job is not done. They have to take that and bring it into the storehouse. See, the type of men and women that God is calling us to in this moment of need in this hour of need, are those who are steadfast and committed to staying with those that God has given them charge over and bringing them to completion. The work that God started in them, that God is faithful to bring to completion, the man of God, the woman of God is going to walk alongside and see it done. He is ready, she is ready and excited to say, Lord, I want to present to you that which you have given to me to do. Lord, I want to present to you, I want to see them not just say yes at the sinner's prayer, but I want to walk with them and I'm going to journey with them in the hard times, in the difficult moments. I'm going to continue pouring into their lives. I'm going to speak when it's uncomfortable. I'm going to share when it's not, you know, appropriate uh, in my own sense or, or in my own timing and plan. I'm going to speak your words because, God, I am committed to the long haul. I am steadfast. And so uh, I wanted to share all of this. There's more if you look. If you look at the whole idea of compassion, it's there like Jesus who was compassionate towards the people. There is no way that the workers who are going to make a difference in this time, in this need, are not going to be of the kind that are compassionate. 
For it's compassion that binds up and builds up. It's compassion that sticks with and goes through the end. It's compassion that does not allow a person to just stay stuck in their misery and their sin, but it's compassion that says there is something greater for you, something better for you, and I'm inviting you into it. And so these laborers are sharp, they're edifying, they're steadfast, they're compassionate, And that is the answer that God put through in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And I want you to understand this. As we start this missions emphasis, you know, there's so many times we believe missions looks like this. Like I told you, missions exist because worship doesn't. If we are going to change that reality in all of those people groups that are missing, all of those people who have not even heard the name of Jesus, then I find incredible solace and hope in the fact that Jesus says you don't have to have this incredible grand scheme, a, a scheme and strategy. I want you to first start off with prayer. I want you to start with prayer. I want you to pray for the harvest. I want you to pray so that God, the one who owns the harvest, will send out laborers into his field. I want you to pray so that God will start affecting the change. And I have sat in meetings with so many folks. I have, you know, gone into hospital rooms and connected on phone calls and, and sat through, like we talked about last, last week, you know, after miscarriages and this and that and whatever. And, and there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of sorrow, and there's circumstances that are outside of our control. And it those moments, I almost feel like I'm completely, utterly helpless and hopeless in those moments where there's somebody who needs help, who wants some type of of encouragement, some type of, of hope and change, and yet all we can do in such moments is pray. Yet prayer, if we look in this book, is a thing that moves the heart of God. If we look in this book, you know, if we start looking at the pain and the sorrow of the world, it is prayer that's going to start unlocking the heart of man. It is through the Holy Spirit moving in the heart of a person, bringing that conviction through words carried on the wings of prayer that is going to change circumstances and and completely transform lives. So in a way, I look at this and I say, Lord, thank you so much that you didn't make it so complex and so crazy, but you've made it so incredibly simple. We can come to you in prayer over this great need that is so, so far-reaching and sometimes even overwhelming. It's prayer. See, because God alone can raise up workers that are sharp, edifying, and steadfast. See, I can, and times I look around and I see there's so many things I want to do as a church. There's so many things I want to do as a pastor in this community. There's so many things that I want to do within my family. There's so many things, and I try to do it within my own power and ability. I try to do it with my limited creativity. I try to do it in my own strength. And, you know, I'll go and I'll hit my head against a wall in the sense where, you know, I'll make a mistake or it doesn't go through. And then sometimes there's victory and there's, you know, something, there's progress and we move the ball forward. There's a lot of things as I look, a lot of needs, and I can do it 
it all within my own power, saying I'm going to lift up this person or put that person in charge or do this thing or you know, I'm going to tackle this project and delegate this thing and there's all of this that I try to do. And then sometimes when it doesn't work out in my power, in my understanding, in my creativity, I go and I call a mentor. I phone a friend, like who wants to be a millionaire? I phone a friend. Hey, can, what do you think should be done here? And how can I do this? And, and, and what would you recommend? And all of these things. And then that sometimes doesn't work. But I wonder if we were to come to God first and ask God and like Jesus is pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out the workers. See, God has a plan and a strategy that goes beyond ours. He has the right people and the right resources. He has the right timing and he has the right energy. He has the right creativity and he has the right circumstances that he's going to cultivate and culminate all together to bring about his change and his transformation. So what if we were to just step into that incredible blessing that is praying for the right people that God will call at the right place at the right time that he would just fill this place that he would just continue to pour out in the lives of our missionaries if we look around the room and the 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 countries that are represented and we go around over on our missions wall and we start seeing the pictures of the men and the women who are serving if we were to just commit ourselves to praying that God would do something in their lives that God would move and pour out the giftings the talents the ability that God would refine them and make them sharp and make them edifying make them compassionate make them steadfast that God would cover them and that he would continue to move upon their lives and not allow them to grow weary in well-doing but that God would maximize the efforts of their hands and that he would use them to preach his gospel in power I wonder how much of this world would be reached for the kingdom of God it's not just doing it in our own power we can't do it in our own power because it's not sufficient we have to do it within his. The laborers are his. So I, I wonder, are we coming to him in prayer? This month as we begin missions emphasis, I want us to start off passionately over prayer. Easily within prayer. Not getting overwhelmed over everything that is there. The need that is so great and so great. But that we could just say, I'm going to resolve myself. God, I ask you, please break my heart that I may pray as you pray. That God, I may come into your presence and realize the need that is all around me. That I can look within my family and see the pain in the eyes of the one that is standing right in front of me. Lord, that that person that I love, that I cherish, that I care for, who is running towards hell and away from your presence. Can I cry out to them? And, you know, we have prayer on Monday through Thursday, and I know so many people are working, and if you can make it, that's awesome. This is not an indictment that, that you can't be here. You know, but we also have Tuesday night. Can you make it then? We have prayer that, that's supposed to be happening all throughout our homes. Is it passionate? When's the last time that we prayed that God would send out laborers? When's the last time that we prayed passionately that God would send out his people that he's called, who are passionate, who are zealous, who are filled with incredible wisdom and insight, who are malleable and willing within his hands to do the work of his ministry. See, church, so there's a Barna study that just went through, and I, I forget the details of the number, but it was close to around 42, I believe, of people within congregations all across the United States, of, of church members, church attenders, who believe that missions, that preaching the good news, that going out into the harvest field, 
is not something for everybody. 42%, that's almost half of the entire church. God needs to change that within our hearts and our minds, and we need to start crying out to him that he would send out laborers because the need is too great. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. I recognize that my ability to communicate this comes to you only in the methods of words right now, but it has to be caught in a different way. We need to spend time in God's presence so that we can catch his heart for the nations, that we can catch his heart for the people that are lost and that are hurting. God will most likely, when we start praying for him to send out workers, what he will start doing is most likely he's going to start cultivating our hearts that we would also answer the call ourselves. See, the divisions in the gospel is so that it ends right there in this chapter and it begins in another chapter 10, but it's a continuation in chapter 10 and Jesus said that he sends out his disciples. Hey, you guys, I want you to pray that God would send out laborers. Hey, by the way, you guys, you are the ones I'm sending out two by two. See, God wants us to be malleable in his hands, praying for the needs that are around us because it makes a real big difference. Missions, exists because worship doesn't. When you leave the sanctuary, this is my challenge. This is how I want you to respond. Of course, we're going to open up the altars for prayer. We're here to pray with you, believe with you. We're going to do that, but I want every single person. When you walk, you can go to the cafe, you can hang out, you can connect with people. Make sure you connect with Pastor Joe and Donna. You talk to them about BOC and all that, and you just catch up with them. But then after, after you're done with your coffee, if you're done hanging out and catching out, Everyone leave through the back doors today or at least go to the back doors first because if you take a right and then you take another right, right here on this hallway facing the gym, there's a wall of all the missionaries and organizations that we support. And this is what I just want you to do, to start catching a heart for missions, start catching a heart for the need that's actually real and around you. I want you to take a picture with your phones. I wasn't going to print out something for it because I don't want to make it. I want you to take the initiative. I'm not going to hand it to you. I want you to walk over to that hall, take a picture of one or two missionaries, and I want you to adopt them in prayer. Every single week, we are highlighting missionaries and what's going on in their world and what is their pressing needs. And I ask you, are you praying for those throughout the week or is it just something you do here? I know sometimes we forget because we have our own needs and circumstances. But as you walk out this door, you take two rights, get over there, take a picture, adopt a family because prayer makes a difference. Missionaries make a difference. I'll close with this story and we'll open up the altars for prayer. There were two Americans who were having dinner They were the dinner guests of a tribal chief. And as they were hanging out, talking, they're communicating, just catching up. One of the Americans says to the the, the chief, I don't believe in missions. I just don't believe in it. I didn't, you know, learn much about it. And, you know, what I did learn, I don't think it's relevant and practical. And so the host of that dinner, the tribal chief, expresses his concern. He expresses his surprise. And he says to them, You should believe in missions. You absolutely should. Because until a few years ago, I was a cannibal. But a missionary came to my island and he won me for Christ. 
Otherwise, instead of you being my dinner guest, you would have been my dinner. Now, that's a funny story. We can laugh about it on this side. But if that missionary hadn't gone, that tribal chief and all of his tribe could have still been living under the plague of, uh, of spiritual warfare with the spirits, worshiping you know, animals and trees and different things, worshiping gods that don't exist, things that don't satisfy, things that don't have an eternal value and purpose. They could have been sick and, and filled with diseases. They could have been, you know, yes, this world, Jesus is the answer. It doesn't mean that he's going to wipe away every tear on this side of eternity, but he will one day. And while we're here, we're to affect change. The missions that we support, the missionaries that we send out, the missions that we champion, they make a difference. And prayer opens up the door. Prayer launches people forth. Prayer compels them out. So will you pray with me? Father, I ask you that you would please go beyond my words. Go beyond these stats that are on the board that just look like numbers. I pray that you would, like you did when Jonathan Edwards was speaking, sinners in the hands of an angry God, and when men and women were, you know, just being awoken and at night with dreams of hellfire and, and all of that is reserved for humanity without you, Lord, as you met with Lester Summerall and gave him that vision in that church that he saw the crowds and the multitudes, people that he did not even understand and see that were all running off a cliff into the abyss. Lord, I pray that you would awaken in us, Lord Jesus, beyond words, a burden for the lost, that God, you would awaken within us, Lord Jesus, an awareness to step out of our comfort and out, Lord God, of our cushy lives. To see the pain and the sorrow that is actually alive and well and thriving in the world around us. That we wouldn't just have our hands in our ears and blinders in our eyes, looking at what we can amass and accomplish, what we can possess within our own power and accomplish within our own days. But God, that we would look beyond ourselves to the legacy of this world that is lost without a savior. But that a savior has come and we have him and we share him not. God, I ask you, have mercy on us and awaken inside of us a burden, God. Awaken inside of us the need to say, Lord, here I am. Use me, if nothing else, to pray change into this world, to pray laborers into the field, to pray life over death. Father, in your mighty name we pray. And as you have your eyes closed, if you've never encountered Jesus, let me just say that he is for you and he's made a way where there was no way. So if you have not yet come in to experience this God that has something for you beyond hell, he wants something outside of hell for you. He wants eternal life in the presence of God for all eternity as you rejoice and you spend it with him. Redeemed. If you want that for yourself, 
that I invite you to just come here as people are worshiping and people are getting ready to respond and, and to leave this place. Just find me or Pastor Xavier, one of our, our serving board members and just say, I, I need to talk to you about receiving Jesus into my life. Father, I thank you. We invite you into this space. And Lord, I pray that your presence and your power would be with every person from here on out. Stir them, Lord God, and speak to them in your precious name. Amen.